Good morning. Uh, before I read the scripture for this morning, just a thank you to Aaron and Andrew and Pete, Peter, sorry, Pete, Peter, shouldn't be so comfortable just to call you Pete, Peter and Bart uh, for their music this morning. We appreciate uh, all the time they take to practice and their skills that bless us every morning here at church. Uh, Today, our scripture reading is uh, John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God to us this morning. Check, check, check. Oh, look at that. It's on. So I failed to mention this morning that we have somebody else with us for the first time in, in some time today, and that's uh, Peter Takis. And uh, Peter, good to have you with us. We've been praying for you. I said so many nice things about you. If you walked in, you'd think I was talking about a different guy. Um, but we are we're deeply, deeply blessed, and we continue to pray for you, for your family, and to thank God for your mom and her faithful testimony to Jesus Christ. So the Lord bless you. Today, uh, in, in the Anglican Church, this is what happens in kids' stories when you're the visiting minister and somebody else is doing the kids' story. First of all, I didn't know if I might have to do the kids' story. I was like, I better come up with something quick. And I didn't, though. The uh, Father Simon, I don't know if you've met Simon, um, he, he was doing what they call celebrating at the service, so doing everything except preaching, basically. And so he was taking the kids' service, but he asked the kids, what children, and just so you know, Anglican kids don't know any more than you do about what special day this is. Children, what special day are we celebrating today? What do you do? Do Like, you don't have to put up your hand and tell me if you know. You just do what I do. Like, it's not Mother's Day. No, that happened. Okay, I didn't miss that. Um, Is it about candy or what am I getting? Or, you know, the kids would do that. Well, today in the Anglican Church and much of the Christian world, it's Ascension Sunday. The day that we mark Jesus Christ ascending to heaven, speaking to his disciples. And some of you are saying, it is? It's that day? Yeah, it is that day today. And so their gospel reading was going to be Ascension Sunday, but I was preaching there and preaching here, so wasn't writing two sermons, um, not this week. And so it was easy with this topic, the prologue to the Gospel of John, to see how these bookends speak together. 
Jesus Christ, in a sense, saying goodbye to his disciples on this, on this earth before he ascended to heaven, which is always a fantastical scene, right? What happened that day? I'm not, you know, totally, he ascended to heaven. What did that look like? I don't know. But as you remember those kinds of goodbyes, you also think about the hellos. There's a CBC show that I've never seen called Hello, Goodbye. And, and those things always kind of come together in our memories. When we greet someone and when we say goodbye to them, when they depart. We're looking at the beginning part. John chapter 1, this prologue to John's gospel. This is, we've said, I've said this before as we've taken up this brief series. You should memorize this text. Uh, it would be good if we all memorized it, but particularly if you're a Christian, you should memorize this text. John 1, 1 to 18. Because it's something that will bless you in your life and it's something that will as you remember it, will correct a lot of the excesses and kind of things we can get wrong in our faith get so easily wrong. The structure of John 1, 1 to 18 is that, well, the narrative of the book properly, so you know, if it's a gospel, it's going to tell the story of the life of Jesus. This is a different gospel than the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? This gospel stands apart from them in how it tells the stories, but it's still going to tell the story of the life of Jesus Christ. That narrative, that storytelling, starts properly at verse 19. So 1 to 18, the prologue, is like the introduction. But it's an extremely important introduction because it sets up not only the Gospel of John, but it sets up what it means to believe this Christian faith. And it also sets up what's the relationship between God and the world, Jesus Christ and the world. Verses 1 to 5 Remember we talked about, for those who were here a few weeks ago, we talked about how this is kind of cosmic talk. Like way above time and way above the clouds, way above the highest mountains. In the beginning was the Word. The Christian faith is not going to give you a scientific explanation of the beginning of all things. For that, you need to go elsewhere. What the Christian faith will do, and this is a faith statement, is say, so this is my belief, but it's a faith belief. In the beginning was the Word. In other words, in my faith, I believe, and science can't answer, answer this, and that's okay, that before there was anything, there was the living word, Jesus Christ. That's what this gospel will say, and we believe it in faith. Verses 1 to 5 introduce this pre-existent, preeminent word. Verses 6, 7, and 8, remember we said it goes from that cosmic view right down to earth. And so... We mentioned that some of you are really good at watching movies. Most of you are pretty good at that now. Younger people tend to be even better at it than older people. So when the, when the, when the storyteller, whether it's a movie or a TV show, when they play with the timeline and one scene you're here right now and the next scene all of a sudden it's the same room but 15 years ago, and you're like, hang on a second, I don't know what this is. This, these, all these narrative these storytelling kind of um, techniques that are used this is what's happening right here. We're going from the cosmos. In the beginning was the word. Before time, above time, before everything else. And then we go verse 6, 7, and 8. And there was a man named John. It's good storytelling. And John was going to bear witness to that word in the world. This is how the prologue operates. Verses 6, 7, and 8, that's the focus. And then verses 9 to 18, which we'll take up today, is back to the cosmic view. I'm going to go through this a little more verse by verse than I normally do. Uh, my interest is to teach a little bit more, uh, direct teaching. 
And in this, to consider how we live out this faith, how we consider, worship, and give our lives to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to do that work in your own mind this morning. I'm asking you to consider, as I teach through some of this text, what does it mean to worship and to give our lives to Jesus Christ, to consider who he is in this world. So verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. What I want you to know here, I mean, what's most important is not what I want you to know, though I think that's extremely important. What's most important is what the text is teaching. Where's the emphasis in the text? The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The emphasis is in this. Everything else receives its radiance from elsewhere. Reflected light, right? Everything else receives its radiance from elsewhere, from some other source. But Christ is the light that shines of itself. That's the emphasis of this text, this verse. Jesus Christ, this verse is teaching, is the one true light. Again, if we're talking physics, science, space, sun, stars, moon, you could say, well, there's, it's a bit different. I understand that. This is faith teaching. The one true light is Jesus Christ. And this light coming into the world, this light, by this radiance, we can be filled with the light of Christ. This is the teaching of this verse. So what that means, and you've seen this, we can see this in church. I saw this with someone I met for the first time this morning, earlier this morning. I saw the light of Jesus Christ in this person. Never met him before. It turns out he's an artist and he's not here right now. You don't have to look around the room. But this is the truth of Scripture teaching that humanity can be illumined with the light of Jesus Christ. It might be easier for you to think that that might be true of someone else. The challenge, of course, is to remember that you can be illumined by the light of Jesus Christ. But you're not the source of that light, you see. A note about the light, two points. Firstly, the light of Jesus Christ, this light is original. In other words, there is no other origin to that light. The origin is from Christ himself. Secondly, that Jesus Christ is alone in this. Now, I'm not saying, oh, poor Jesus, he's so alone. Though there are times when we would lament for the lone, how, how alone Jesus is. This is not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm saying to you is that there is no other light like this light. He alone is the one true light. That's Christian teaching. If you miss this, if you get off base, if you start believing that the light of the Christian church is to be morally better than the world, that that's, right? then you make all kinds of mistakes. The light of the Christian church is Jesus Christ. There are all other kinds of things to do in this faith, and I'm not speaking against any of those things. But this light is original and alone. Verse 10. Verses 10 and 11 together I'll put on the screen. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. If you go back to verse 1, so if you have your Bibles, it's good to have your Bibles with you. You've got your phone, so you can look at two. Um, verse 1, do you remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's the word for that? It's on the screen, so you, get, you don't get full points for this test because the answers are already behind my head here. 
But the word for that, in the beginning was the word, before time existed, right? Before anything existed. And the word was God, and the word was with God. The word to describe that is transcendent. God is transcendent. He's above us. He's above these now four burnt out light bulbs in our ceiling. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> four, nope, five. Kidding. No, it's still four. Um, we can't reach those. But God is above this room, this, these skies. He's transcendent. That's verse 1. Verse 10 that we're looking at, what's the difference? He was in the world. What's the word to describe that? It's there again. Transcendent, verse 1. Imminent, verse 10. Above all time and all created things, but choosing to be in the world. Imminent, present. God far off, above all, high, mighty, majestic, and strong. And some of you, when you're worshiping, that's what you care about. Oh, Lord, you're so high, right? That's good. It's good stuff. But it's not the only truth. Because now God near, come close, brought near with us in the world, imminent. We may have heard it over and over, but it's key for us to know, to consider, and to pray. This is the teaching of the Christian faith. That God is both transcendent and imminent. That is not the teaching of all the faiths of the world. But it is the teaching of Christian faith. Now, for those who've experienced, and not everybody here has, I wouldn't think, but many have, I would hope most. And if you haven't, it's okay. Not, there's not categories and classes of people. But for those who have experienced moments of being caught up in worship, you know, when you're just overwhelmed in worship, can be in church. Even though I'm a minister, most of the time that I'm caught up in moments of worship are not in church. I think sometimes pastors are, are given times outside because it's, you know, it's work here to some degree, right? But you might share the same thing. But those moments when you're caught up in worship, most of them, if we could analyze what's going on in them to some degree, you are experiencing and noting both the transcendence of God. Oh, Lord God, you are so high and mighty and powerful and the imminence of God. And, oh, Lord God, you're with me? Transcendent and imminent in Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not receive him. The word in Greek here for world, now, do you notice that the word world is three times mentioned in this verse? He was in the world, the world was made through him, but the world did not receive him. So what does, what's the meaning of that word, world, in the text there? Do I have them down here? I do, don't I? I do. I give you all the answers. i got to change how I do these slides. But anyway, the first meaning, when you think of the world, is the sum of all created things. So you, could, you would nod your head and say, that's one definition of the world. The sum of all created things in existence. So you don't just mean earth necessarily by the world. It can be more than that. The second meaning, he was, he was in the world, the world was made through him, but the world did not receive him. It's the same word, right? But is it the same meaning? It can't be. Don't think that it is, at least. The meaning there that we understand and teach is the word world that you would use for fallen humanity turning their backs on God. Right? 
So isn't it interesting that in some ways they function in opposite ways? You have this beautiful world that you feel so fantastic about, and then you have this fallen world that you so much experience sorrow, disappointment, whatever. Regret, guilt, shame, whatever. You look at others, you look at yourselves. So here's how you can... I know you understand the meaning of this. I know you can get this. But just to put it home a little bit more, you can think about it in your daily life. You you operate this way all the time. You say, the world is such a beautiful place. So we don't have to go far to think of something like that. Uh, Jen and I are going to be out at with Aiden and Matthew. They have a big tournament today all day in Newton, Surrey. It's a beautiful place. It is, actually. It's not bad. It's sunny, at least, there today. But... Uh, because I knew we'd be out the tournament all day and we have a dinner tonight and it's kind of one of those really, really busy days. Yeah, I'm not lamenting. It's good. It's all good. I knew with the beauty of this morning that I thought, I'll get up really early and I'll go for a quick bike ride. I'm much healthier when I do that kind of thing. So, But I had to get up quite early to do it. Like you were all still sleeping. Except for the ones who couldn't sleep. So, sorry. Um, and so I left... And I was whipping down Keith Road Hill. And I can't describe to you in words the beauty of the early morning. The air, the scent in the air, the springtime. And I said to myself, and I knew I was doing this anyway, so it was easy. I said to myself, but not just as an exercise getting ready for the sermon, but in truth. Oh, this is such a beautiful world. And then I came back. I had to get ready for St. Tim's. Why do I do this on a Sunday morning? I turned the news on. But it helped for this exercise at least. And then you just watch a couple news reports and you say, oh, this is a terrible world. See what's happening there? Just in this little verse. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not receive him. What would I like you to know here? It's this. In your Christian faith, your worship of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, and as far as I can tell, in Jesus Christ alone, those two meanings come together. In other words, it is a beautiful world that has been made. A beautiful world that has been made. But even the world of fallen humanity turning its back on God, Jesus gave himself for that world. He didn't reject it. He didn't just say, like you sometimes, oh, this terrible world. These meanings are brought together in Jesus Christ. We're told that this word is not far from humanity. Psalm 19, verse 4, His voice, God's voice, goes out through all the earth. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Um, Expanding this idea that the world was made through him, but they didn't respond. We didn't respond. It's true, but it isn't the greatest point of emphasis in the text. Unfortunately, the religious impulse loves these kinds of verses. These tags that say, and the world did bad, right? So then we go, yeah, it's it's a bad world. And religion of any kind whether it's, you know, religion about what you eat, whether it's religion about, you know, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be like a Christian faith or one of the main faiths of the world. 
But religion of any kind operates so often on judging bad things. And the impulse is here that we think, well, yeah, the world didn't receive him, so let's judge the world. And sometimes churches exist for decades with that energy. Let's be different than this terrible world. But that's not the emphasis of the text. The emphasis of the text from verse 1 all the way through to verse 18 is not that the world didn't receive him. The emphasis of the text is that the word has victory. The defiance doesn't last or work. So if we're to speak any kind of judgment on the world, we must realize in the church that we are subordinate in this as well. Attacking the church is one thing, like just saying the church is terrible and hypocritical and sinful. There's no news in that, by the way, right? Attacking the church just for attacking's sake is not helpful. But understanding as we make up the church that we ought to examine not how the world shuts Jesus Christ out, but how we shut Jesus Christ out. How we rely so often on the techniques of the world that wouldn't be, at times, the techniques that God would use. How we judge by the measure of the world, not seeking to, to, to look at, at things by the measure of how God looks at things. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Just a side note here. Some of you have translations that say, who were born not of the, and not of the will of the husband. Does anybody have that? You, you have some, some have that in their translations. And I, this is, gives me a good, uh, good opportunity to teach that the Bible, as it uses images, metaphors, and certain teaching points, isn't necessarily sanctifying all those things. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the idea that, that a child is born simply as of the will of a husband, we wouldn't really think that today, right? There's more than one person deciding, now is time to have a baby, right? This isn't sanctifying some human thing. This is simply saying, as you understand things, as he was writing to people in that day, look, we think what it means to be born is this, but when you're born of spirit, something else is happening. That's the teaching of the text. So I just want you to be careful how you use because churches can get quite aggressive at times, and I would say even abusive at times, of taking metaphors, images, particularly gender ones, and acting as if that means that's sanctified. But that's a side note. The larger thing is, we're talking about a different kind of birth, a new birth. And to teach this, I want to ask two questions. The first one is this. Can the world sustain its defiance? understand what I'm asking? Can the world, turning its back on God, sustain its defiance of the word? And I'll put the question and the answer up together. The answer is simple. No. But this isn't a God operating in power who's going to, you know, smite everybody until they believe. Something else is happening here. But this is a faith statement that should give you great hope. The world cannot and will not sustain its defiance of the living word. This text is teaching that. And for some of you who have a faith that is too often riddled with fear, you need to remember that. 
A second question. What happens to the speaking of the divine word in the shining of the light into a dark world? In other words, if God is speaking his word, light, into darkness, what is going to happen? And the answer is that those born of God, of the Holy Spirit, those who experience a new birth, receive and believe. In other words, our belief in Jesus Christ, our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, is evidence that the world cannot sustain its defiance. God is working. Do you see where the emphasis lies? It lies on the effectiveness of the word, not on the defiance of humanity. Now, some of you need to hear that in your faith because you're so focused on somebody in your family who doesn't believe, right? Or the world that is so apart in its understanding from God. That's not where the big news is. The big news is that the word is and will be eternally victorious. Another note here. Well, actually, the way that I'd put it is this. You put questions one and two together, and here's the statement. that This should be on the screen, but I don't think it is. The word is mightier than the world. That's what's being taught. One of the things that's being taught in this text. You might be aware of the resistance to the world, in the world, to the word, Jesus Christ. Resistance, defiance, and sometimes total lack of interest. But please hear this, those who believe this Christian faith particularly. The word is mightier than the world. And the first way of seeing this is that some have believed and received. The word has not just come into the world. It has come to those who have received. I would say in my faith, I have received the living word. And many of you here would say yes to that. And if you haven't, you can. Lord Jesus Christ, I put my trust in you. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. This receiving of this living word is not something that can be taken. It must be received. But we believe that's by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You have a place in it. You can say, yes, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to receive your presence, your power, your love, your salvation. But even as you say that, it is received, not taken. That's how good our God is. Verse 14 is the hinge of all of the teaching. This is the heart of, in a way, it's the heart of the entire gospel. It's certainly the heart of the prologue. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You memorize that for me, please. I mean, you have things in your head that are so meaningless. So do I, by the way. Tons, trust me. My friends here could tell you. Um, But you need to memorize this kind of thing. Because this will actually help you in your life more than some advertising jingle. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you first to notice the energy of this passage. It's demonstrated with that one simple word. Don't skip any scripture, don't skip words when you're reading scripture. It's demonstrated by the word and. 
the sentence starts with and, that's okay. English teachers, you know that. You just didn't tell people. It's fine. You just have to do it properly. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and structure. Who talks like that? Who talks with a sequence of ands? Right now they're with Natasha in the preschool. Right? You know that. And then they grow up and they become not as excited anymore. Well, some stay excited. So they say things. Children and toddlers, they say things like, and then we went to the park. And you see, they can't even, they've not even finished the word park yet. And they're on to the next thought. They just haven't vocalized it yet. And then we went to the park and we got ice cream. And after that, we saw Susie's new cat. And after that, right? That's the energy here. Now, I'm not comparing the incarnation of Jesus to a toddler's perfect day. But if we're going to have a point where our enthusiasm and our joy can be instructive to us, it's at times like this. Now, think of a child who's so excited about a good day like that. Now, particularly Christians, but not only in this room, I'm going to read this to you again and ask the Holy Spirit by His power and presence to touch you with an awareness of how incredible this is. Listen. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. See? That's why it's written that way. And there's wonder here. And the wonder is not simply that he visited the world, that he came into the world. The wonder is the way in which he came, flesh. Jesus takes on flesh. I want you to see the distinction here simply between becoming human and becoming flesh. He took on the nature of Adam. Adam and Eve. When I say Adam like that, it means both. He took on the nature of Adam, created in fallen humanity. He put himself under the fall, into darkness, fallen, corrupt human nature which needs to be redeemed. Jesus Christ became flesh. Christ became Jesus Christ, flesh. This is a mystery to be sure, but it is our salvation. And it is also the reminder that there is no darkness that will not be overcome. If he had become man but not flesh, then Jesus would exist only as an ideal. If he'd become human but not flesh, however that would look. We would say things like, can't you be more like him? And we would be reminded of our fallenness as if it was a mocking of our plight. And we would set up these religious impulses where we judge one another and judge the world. If he would only become human. But he didn't only become human. Much of the religious life falls in this regard. We rightfully think of Jesus as an example, but He is never only an example. Because examples can operate from a distance, and Jesus Christ does not. If He were only an example, we would shake our heads at the plight of the world, the sin of other people, the reality of sin, darkness, resistance, defiance, and disinterest. And for some religious people, that's pretty much what they do. But... Christianity, faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' work in this world. Your faith cannot properly be understood by only antithesis, like your opposition to something. It can't be understood only by antithesis or contrast. Here's why. Let me put it this way. You can't worship a living God 
who gave himself for the life of the world. In other words, you can't worship a God who chose to bridge the distance between himself and the world. You cannot worship that God by keeping your distance from that same world. God's word is revealed. Like if God were to show up today and speak with you in this place. We'll make it at your house because if it was here, we would include it in a worship service or something. God shows up at, you, up at your place as what? As an angel. Let's try angel first. He shows up as, as in the form of an angel as he does in Scripture at times. And how would that be? And how would you listen? And would you be afraid? Or God shows up in a storm on a perfect day like this. You notice on the horizon there's this just wall of cloud darkness. And it's not just like Calgary. It's something really supernatural. God shows up in a storm and speaks to you. How would you hear it then? Or God shows up in a light and would I say that that light would be blinding? Probably. What this text teaches, don't take your eyes off of this. What this text teaches is that the light of God in its fullness, in its radiance, and its brilliance shines in this more than angelic visitations, more than natural and supernatural manifestations. The radiant light of God shines in this. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Those other things, right? Angels, storms, lights, They emphasize the distance between us and God. Jesus is the reconciliation and salvation, the drawing close, the bringing near, redemption and salvation and peace. And it is there. Those who want to behold God's glory, I won't ask for a show of hands because that'd just be, I guess I better put my hand up. Who doesn't want to see God's glory? You look around, right? But those who have a longing to see God's glory, and there are some here. Where will you see God's glory? What does Scripture teach? This above all else. Doxa is the word here for glory. Perfect light, perfect radiance, total brightness. Seen where? Supernatural manifestation, the sky lit up. Some of you, especially those of you who long to see God's glory, you tend to be attracted to those things because they feel like glory. Where will you see the glory of God? It's taught right here. In Jesus Christ taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Verses 15 and 16, I won't spend any time there because they're just John the Evangelist saying, and don't forget John the Baptist, verse 15 particularly. Don't forget John the Baptist because he was witnessing to all this. And from the fullness of Jesus Christ, we receive grace upon grace. In other words, we're involved in this. It's not only cosmic. Verses 17 and 18 to end. Verses 17 and 18 form one thought. The law was given through Moses. So for me to teach this properly here, you have to become a bit of a linguistic student for a moment. So if you've never taken a linguistics course, this is what it's like. Linguistics is like A, B, draw a chart, put a thing over here. Do It's how language works and fits all together. And here, the little linguistics teaching is that there's a structure to verses 17 and 18. Don't think you have to be a university student to understand this. You can get it. The structure is simply this. A, B. That forms the first 
statement. And then there's another statement. A, B, and that's it. But those together form one thought. Got me? And here's how the language is working. I'll read the verse and you can see if you can discern it before I put it on the screen. <laughs> Didn't give the answer this time. The law was given through Moses. That's A. I'm telling you now. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God. But who, he who is at the Father's side has made him known. These two verses forming this thought. This is the end of the prologue. No one has ever seen God. That's still true. Despite, you know, some books that say, I saw God once. No one has ever seen God. Why? He's transcendent. That's thought A. That's not a negative thought. It's not like no one has ever seen God or we're all bereft. It's basically saying God is transcendent. He's above us. No one has seen God. Thought A. Thought B. Except Jesus Christ has made him known. That's the reflection from the beginning part of of this teaching that says to people who would be in the know about this, the law came through Moses, religious law, like living out religion. And that's good. Again, a positive thought. But, that's thought A, but B, which contrasts and expands, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the end of the prologue. So I want to close simply with a spiritual practice before we do our sending song. I'm calling it here and now and now and then just because I like language that sounds like that. For those who think that sounds clunky, that's fine. I get it. But it just has a little bit of a, I don't know, lyrical thing to it. Here and now and now and then. Uh, Because I want you to do a little spiritual practice now for about 15, 20 seconds before we close this sermon time. But really what I'm interested in is that you do this sometime on your own. When you're driving, when you're walking, when you're sitting at home, whatever it might be. Someone from St. Tim's did the old, well, how can I do this when I'm driving? I'm like, doesn't the Holy Spirit will keep you safe? But anyway, um, Anglicans. Um, here's, the, here's the question. I want you to hold this question. I was working on some of this at J.J. Bean, Angela's wonderful coffee shop. Um, and I did this exercise. I started it. I, I tried it myself there. Only, it honestly only takes like 10, 15 seconds. But it's, once I know what this text teaches, how does it change my view of the world? That's the, that's the heart of this spiritual exercise. So here's the question. How is my view of the world different knowing that he became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory? You try it here. Close your eyes or don't or whatever, but do this as a prayerful exercise. And I'll ask the question again. You can think of people around you. You can think of this room. You can think of concerns in your life, whatever, however you're guided in your thoughts and by the Spirit. How is my view of the world different? Knowing that He became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. I tell you what happens in a coffee shop when you do this, at least when I do. The place lights up. Nobody else noticed it, maybe. But the place lights up. And my any opposition to the world is insignificant. So try this here and now as we just did. But try it there and then, later this week. Take this question with you and ask yourself, how is my view of the world different? 
knowing that he became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And as always, if you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ, to pray about growing in faith or pray about any concern in your life, we have people who will pray with you and for you afterwards. Or you're always welcome to stay where you are in your seats when the service proper ends and spend some time in prayer. Sometimes we jump too quickly. <laughs> I'm saying this today. and We don't even have time to go to lunch. We've got to go to the tournament. But sometimes we jump too quickly to like the next thing, right? And if you're so led, it's okay to just sit where you are and pray for a few minutes when we're done. Or go to the back and receive prayer. Let's pray together. Come Holy Spirit and guide us in these thoughts. We thank you for this word, for this teaching that we need to remember that changes our lives. We thank you for this faith that many of us in this room have. We pray for those, Lord Jesus Christ, who don't know you. We pray that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, they would come to know you and your love and your salvation. Grow us in this faith for your glory, for the blessing of this world, that we would know, Lord Jesus Christ, that the word is mightier than any resistance, but that you have given yourself in love. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.